Hey, Shannon. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, thanks. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And uh, just two guys talking about getting molested, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All the things that we could be discussing about this world, we have to be doing this because we just don't get the attention, I think, that it deserves from maybe the male side. Yeah. And it probably happens all the time in the industries, but, you know, men don't usually want to fess up to it. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I, the man, you know, we have this concept that masculine, you've got to be masculine in this world. Yeah. Anything other than that, you're just not as acceptable to, you know, to, and then they don't realize how much support they probably would get. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. It's the, the masculinity aspect of things. It's like you got to yeah. hold this image, this sort of facade. And it's like, you know, getting molested doesn't make you any less masculine. But nope. in your head at the time, it sure feels like it. It's like, that's not a very manly thing to have had happen to me. It's, but, you know, it takes more of a man to actually talk about it. Definitely. It's part of why I, I wanted to reach out to you is just, you know, I saw your TikTok about your story. And, and it's, mm. so, it's just so encouraging I mean, for all victims, but I think especially when men see other men talking about it, it just makes you recognize that you're not alone and just feel more comfortable sharing your own story. And that's exactly. And I was reading the comments because I really try to focus on responding to every comment in this situation because it's more because people are giving you more personal response. Mm -hmm. So I felt it deserved my response no matter how many comments I got. But the amount of people who, who said, I know what you're feeling. I mean, it was I was just like wow, I mean, there's just so many people out there. And I think, you know, they don't want to do the video, but they enjoy that I did the video and told me that it happened to them. And of course, then I reached out to them, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And I think part of why it's been a problem for so long is just because people are too uncomfortable to bring it up. And if we can <laughs> normalize these conversations, it's just going to open the floodgates for people around the world to be coming forward and, and sharing their stories. So exactly. I commend you for sharing yours on TikTok and, uh, I really look forward to hearing it now. So Shannon, what happened to you? Basically, well, let me tell you this. My first memory was, was me watching my uncle put some flowers out in front of the, the house for my mom one time. And I opened the door. It was sunny out. It was summer. It was beautiful. He was like, hey, you want to help? And I helped him rake. And I was feeling good. You know, I was like, well, I'm helping my uncle. Yeah. And then not too long after that, we moved. And... Um, after that is pretty much where my last good innocent moment was left mm -hmm. because after that I started getting molested by my brother, my um, cousins, uh, teachers um, for, for goosh, probably 10 to 13 years it kept going. Um, maybe not so much for my brother. You know, it did stop because he did live in a bigger city away from where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember still having to go and try to, you know, like just totally scared of going because I knew what was going to happen when I got there, especially at that first time, you know? Yeah. So what was that first experience like? Was your first molestation experience with your brother? It was. And how did that happen? Well, I had to go to New York City to visit my brother because I've never really met him at this point because, you know, he was older than me. So I went, didn't think anything of it. I was actually kind of excited. Um, and then he lived in a small little studio in the city and got in there. And I would, I mean, it was like, to me, it felt like almost immediately he had his pants down and wanted me to play with him. Mm -hmm. um, both sides. So it was just like, what's going on? Like, I, I didn't, you know, I was, I think that's probably the worst because that was the first experience, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, there was several more. He even done it in my mother's house. But I think that was the probably the most difficult because he was my brother. Right. And what age were you at that point? I was between six and eight-ish. Yeah. Um, we had a bad relationship ever since then, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he's long passed away, you know, over 20 years ago, but I did forgive him. Nice. I never told him I forgave him. I remember when he was passing away, everybody went to go see him and I didn't want to go see him. I just was okay with whatever was going, he was going through. It, it was going out with my life. And then. Or how, how did you uh, get to the point where you forgave him? <sighs> Well, if you don't start forgiving things that you had no control over, then I'm not going to keep taking the blame for it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, what did I do? You know, like, why am I getting this? Like, before I go into that, like, I used to, like, literally, because I did contemplate after that happened, like, suicide a lot. 
Yeah. Um, and sometimes I would just sit there and I pulled my hair and I just rocked and cried like, why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? What did I do? Why do I deserve this? You know, praying to God, trying to hope there was a God or something. It, that lasted a very long time, that, that, that feeling of hate, you know, like I just hated, I hated it and I couldn't stand hating anymore. Yeah. So of course it was later in life before I kind of forgave him. I was in, in the military at this point. I haven't seen him in so long. I didn't need to tell him I forgave him. I just needed to know that I forgave him, that I was the victim. Yeah. And then it's probably sad to say this, but you know, like when he passed away, I kind of felt like, you know, maybe that's my karma. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, I hate to say that because I don't know if it's right to say it, but you know, like when I, my family kept asking me, you know, call him, just call him. He's waiting to hear from you. And the last minute I called him. I cried, of course, because, you know, it's sad to see someone pass away, you know, it's, yeah. but I was like, hmm, let me call him if that's what he wants. And maybe I'll get something out of it. Mm -hmm. I got nothing out of it. I was just like, bye. And not too long after that, he passed away. Mm-hmm. That's a tough situation to be in. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you. It's a whole bunch of emotion. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I was fortunate to not have to be like, I was molested by my friend's dad. So, you know, we were never talking on the phone or anything like that. Right. But, but you uh, saw him all the time. Yes. And it's so funny that you were talking about forgiveness and stuff. Because I literally saw him earlier this week, because I'm home just just for the holidays. And uh, I saw him in Safeway, which is like the, <laughs> the town grocery store or whatever. And uh, it's funny, because it's like, it's kind of like running into an ex. You know, mm -hmm. like you get nervous and you're like, are you still trying to fuck me? You know, <laughs> right? but, like, but then what I what I noticed is that because every time I've seen him in the past, I've always felt worried and scared and like angry. Just sort of whole, yeah, uh, even though we weren't interacting, just seeing him caused me to feel all of that. Mm -hmm. and, and when I saw him this time, I didn't feel any sort of negative emotion towards him at all. Is and, that a sign of a survivor? I think so, man. It felt so good. I was, I, mean, so, I was thrilled. I mean, it was just like the most freeing feeling of not having any feelings towards it. And, you know, I've talked to people that are very much the opposite in regards to their feelings towards their abuser, where they're like, I want, you know, this person to suffer. And, I, you know, I want vengeance and all of that. All and that I, concentration. Yes. And, and, I, and I totally empathize with that scenario. But I think having experienced the feeling that I have now I, I think that there is a tremendous amount of value in letting go of those emotions that you've been harboring but again it's not for everybody there's no right way to do this but anyway so back to your story so this happened with your brother that was an ongoing experience when did that stop i would say right around the beginning of my teenage years and it didn't happen on a consistent basis luckily didn't live in the same area yeah but it was that it was that like oh god he's coming to visit right. it's christmas time he's coming to visit and then he, you know, like, I actually had a bedroom this one time. <laughs> I come from a really weird family, but I, I actually had a bedroom this time. And he had come over and it was holiday time. And he literally got into my bed. And, you know, in the other rooms is, well, we're sleeping, but, you know, mother is in the other room. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do at this point? Yeah. And I've already had other experiences in between then with other people that I just felt like, you know what? I just, people just want to use me. And I'm going to get, and I was kind of used to it. Just whatever you want, get it over with, I go back to sleep. Kind of numb to it, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it, it's disgusting to say that, you know, because like, you know, like when my cousin used to come over and he, there was just like this little shack in the, in the driveway. I didn't even know why it was there, but it was there when we moved in. And he used to make me go out there just to give him a blowjob. Uh, and I remember puking, tears coming down my eyes and, and just doing it. And then I would say quite a few years ago, quite a few years ago when I actually told my siblings, but my brother did and my cousins did. My brother said, you know, I had a feeling that was happening to you. Really? With the cousin. Like, I don't know why he had that feeling, but he just had that feeling. He's like, I always remember having that feeling that he was doing that to you. I just could, didn't know. I was like, well, why didn't you just, other why didn't he ask me? Was that? This is a different brother. Yeah. My mom had, um, I don't know who my dad is. I was never told. Gotcha. Um, but my mom had six kids all together, but she had three different guys with these kids. So everybody was pretty much a half. 
Right. So um, they had a hunch that this was happening with your cousin, but, yeah. but not, uh, yeah, right. Ask me. Yeah. Why, why, <laughs> follow your gut, man. Give me a, you might me go through all that time. You probably could have done something years ago. Yeah. Do you know why he like, did he elaborate on that? No. And I never just went back to it. Cause I like, I'm not trying here to relive this stuff. Yeah. You know, like, I'm glad you told me that you had a feeling. Yeah. I just wish you would have took that gut feeling and went a step further, especially yeah. if you're a parent, right? If you have a, if you're a parent and you have that gut feeling, say it. Yeah. At least, at least developing like an open line of communication between the kid and, and, you know, ideally the parents, but siblings too. That's sort of what, what I've found doing this podcast and, and just, you know, hearing people reach out and share their experiences is that so often it's family members, which just adds this other level of complication to the situation because, let's say your, your, your brother who, who had that feeling wanted to act on it, but then he's like, fuck, like, well, now I'm accusing my half brother of molesting my other half brother without any sort of, I haven't seen it happen. It, you know, it's a hard thing to just bring up, but we have, mm -hmm. we have to just recognize that until we can get over that level of discomfort, we're not going to be able to actually make a difference in preventing this stuff. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah. It just comes down to sort of a lack of education about these topics and uh, a really lack of is. understanding about how big, and common of a problem it is that is really interesting though did he have any hunch about your your brother or just the cousin just the cousin yeah. that's all you know what he ever said was you know the cousin thing i don't know why that one but I, did, I do know that going through that and i grew up in a very poor family and you know my mom wasn't the greatest mom to all of her kids like they all experienced some type of physical or, or emotional abuse from her you know she was led the same way when she was a kid you know so it's not sometimes she just carried it on she didn't break the cycle she carried the cycle yeah um you know that's where i chose to break a cycle but those instances that happened you know i was like ooh, everybody likes to use me I don't have money. I don't, you know, I like to have something other than, I don't know if you know what a skip is, but they're like cheap shoes back in the day and you used to get made in front of and bullied because of it. No, so yeah. I don't want to keep going and get bullied because of my shoes, you know? So I was like, well, I need food. I need to get stuff that I want. I started prostitution because I felt numb to, if you're going to use me, use me. I suppose I'll make some money off it. Interesting. And I, what was that at? Oh, I definitely started that about 13, 14. Wow. And I did that till about 16-ish. How does, how does one initiate their own prostitution at 13? Well, I just, I don't know, actually. I, I think I might have known somebody who's just kind of do it, like from my friend's family, because my friend who brought me up, she took me in when I was a young kid, when I was about six. Mm -hmm. um, I was locked out of the house. Everybody was gone. So my neighbor saw me out there crying at, late at night, so she brought me in. She had like a three-year-old daughter. I was like five or six. So we're only a few years apart. Yeah. So she brought me in, gave me hot cocoa. I stayed the night there and I went home next. I actually lived like next door to her. And then I pretty much ended up living there because I got more what I wanted. You know, I had the roof over my head. I had food. They had more kids. And then one of their kids started to molest me. Oh, man. And it was like, well, if you say anything, you're not going to have what you have now. You're going to lose it all. Yes. Yes. That is the exact thought process that I had too. I was like, fuck, if I speak up, I'm going to lose my friend. I remember just like we could play unlimited video games at my friend's house. And at my house, we could only play for an hour a day. And in my head at the time, I was like, fuck, I don't want to not be able to play Mario Kart for 14 hours a day. And I know that if I speak up, I'm going to lose. Obviously, it's different. You know, you're dealing with more intense things like having a roof over your head and stuff. Mm -hmm. but same thought process of not wanting to lose the experience that you have, but at the same time, knowing that you're, you don't want what's going on to continue going on. It's, it's, right. it's tough. So uh, why I was going through that with him now, him, it was, it was often, but it wasn't routinely, but I never knew when it was coming. I mean, one day, you know, I had to go upstairs to get something for the, I call, I called her mom. And next thing you know, I'm bent over. Yeah out of nowhere. You know what I mean? And I still remember that the clothes are all over and I'm looking to the right because that's where you can see the outside. And I'm just sitting there saying, okay, just do what you got to do. Let me continue yeah. on, you know? Right. Um, that was when you were six, like roughly? No, that was more in the teenage years. Okay. So you were living um, in another house for, for the majority of your childhood. Uh, yes. Um, and then the mom used to make me steal for her. So I was being used again. Oh. Wow. You, know, so, you know, like my friend's Christmas gifts every year for years was all because of me. <laughs> you know, I was their Santa. 
Yeah. And they're like, hello, I'm right here. You can say Merry Christmas to me, you know, put me in a Santa suit and just say, just let me sit there knowing that all the gifts came for me, you know? So I guess it's just always these things where I just knew I had to be tough at a young age. Yeah, I might have been broken, but I knew how to survive. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you want me to steal, but I can eat what I want. I can have a sleep here. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to use them yeah. for my own benefit so that I'm not, you know, being at home because I didn't like being at home because my mom was dating this alcoholic guy and I didn't want to be around that. Mm-hmm. So you always have to weigh your options, you know, and, and throwing all this stuff at you in just a short amount of life, yeah. you know, you tend to get street smart, you know, like I walk the streets and um, I was walking the street one time and, you know, looking to make some money in this brown Cadillac pulled up four door no Lincoln you know those old long Lincolns and he pulled up and I walked up to his car and he started talking to me and I knew he wanted to do something with me but then he pulled out these stack of photos and I will never forget this but this much and he started going through them you know it's like you know all boys wearing different clothing naked boys yeah other other minor boys right and I was, and he was showing me, he said, don't you want to be part of them? Don't you want to meet them? And I was like, you know, what you're doing is not good. And I'm not touching this. And I walked away. And wow. then he, he ended up doing a U-turn, came back, he's like, you're a smart boy. I don't know why. I mean, you could have controlled me, right? I mean. Yeah, sure. Maybe it was something about my smartness or I caught on to him that he just didn't want to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, or that became a threat to him. That's bananas. Like, I, I'm trying to figure out, like, how does one, like, how did you figure out, okay, this is the street corner where 13-year-olds pimp themselves out? Because <laughs> you just walk. You just walk. Well, you, if I go to one part of my city, I know that's kind of more of a, back in the day, I'm going to go back in the day, more of a white, high middle class people. You're not going to catch that kind of people walking around those streets because the streets are different. Yeah. Right? If I do that in the other section, it's almost similar, just lower class, middle, mixed middle people. And then if I stay in the in these two sections, money all day long. Because wow. that's, where, that's where generally more of the poorer people are. It's very mixed with everybody. Um, so it's not that hard to go walk the street for 15 minutes and get someone to, to, to follow you, you know, because they start following you a little bit. And you're getting eye contact. They're trying to confirm. Oh, I can't believe I remember all this stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you have like, did you set your prices? Like, did you, did you have like a menu of options or how did that work? <laughs> um, I knew a little bit about money and I knew what I, I knew what it was worth. So yeah. I knew what they were asking for, what it would be worth. Yeah. Um, and that's what I played it on. You know, if, if I may, you know, 75 bucks one day. Well, you know what? I can go get a couple pairs of shoes. I could buy a pair of jeans, you know? I mean, so that got me further because, you know, I couldn't just go out and, you know, my family just couldn't go and buy me clothes. Now at this point I could have stole, but funny, I never stole for myself. Yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) Um, And then one time she gave me a list to go steal back to that. And I got caught first time ever. I was a minor. They brought me back to her house because that's what the address I gave them. She slapped me in the face, told me she was ashamed of me, and kicked me out of her house. For stealing for her. For her. <laughs> wow. That's tough. That's a tough one. And then, so now you... After that, I really went, ever went back that much after that. Yeah. So where, where did you go? How did you, how did you survive? I had to stay back home. Back to your original house. Yeah. 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 Until I got in ready to join the Marines. I was like, this is my ticket out of here. I'm yeah. timid. I had all these things happen to me. I need to go somewhere where I can be safe. I can, you know, have my own career, have a place to stay. You know, I don't care what it is, but I want to wear that uniform and I'm going. So you went to the Marines. So, so you were molested by your brother, cousin, the brother that, of the new house that you went to. Right. And then, obviously the, the prostitution and everything. Mm-hmm. You, also, you also said that you were molested by teachers? Yes. Um, that was in between the seven to eight up until about 13-ish to the one school that I went to. And it first started with the teacher coming up behind me and pushing his body against mine. Is this just like in, in math class or like what? what no, this, is, this was art class. Okay. So it's more spread out. You know, you have the counters where you can, you know, you have all your stuff out there. 
Yeah. Um, during class, like not during like during class. Wow. And we're all little kids, so the other kids are not paying attention to this, right? I mean, yeah, of course, like it's you, right there in front of them. Yeah, yeah, but you're just nobody's looking for it. Yeah, it's like oh, over here, help! You know, yeah. it's like yeah, they should. You know, you ain't get no help today. You know, <laughs> help me. So it started with him just kind of pushing his penis against me. Yeah, against my body because obviously I was smaller, but you could still. I knew what he was doing. I was already. I've already been through this, right? So it's like obviously I know what you're doing. I felt like, hey, 25 bucks, you know, maybe we could talk, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I wasn't that and gutsy. Get a features discount, like uh, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then it started to where he would take my hand and put it on his penis. Yeah. You know, and the next thing you know, it was inside his pants. So, and it's just like you know, like I used to skip the class often just so I didn't have to deal with it. Yeah, because it was a class that I could, I knew that I could make up and not fail because it's just an art class. It's not like English and math, you know, all those ones that you were required to be there. Yeah, so it's easy to make up certain classes, and that's what I did, and I did it during summer school. Yeah, I yeah, smart, I was a smart little guy. I mean, yeah, yeah I, might have been timid. I might have been timid. I might have been let these people do things to me, but I think at the same time I learned how to play the system. Yeah, at least you made some money off of it, man. I was yeah. breaking in no dollars per molestation. See, the mo- you got to go where the money is. Money talks. I know. I, know. <laughs> I needed your contact info, man. We could have started a business together. But I, but I think, though, because of all that, I think to this day, I still have a problem. I have a sexual problem. Because I don't know if you remember that in my video, you know, when I was when I was getting paid to do prostitution, I kind of went to free because at this point I was becoming sexually mischievous. I don't know what the right word is, but I very got into sex. Like promiscuous, yeah. Yes, like one was never enough. I always had to have someone different, you know. And that's a hard thing to struggle with because, you know, like those days I would have six, seven different people. I didn't care because I got, I got that moment of something. And that little moment of something was better than a moment of nothing. And if I was in a moment of nothing, would my past go and still hurt me mentally? So you think it might have been an attempt to escape from from past experiences? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I don't know if everybody has these different things that they do when, you know, they are survival, like things that still kind of lasting effects. Yeah. Um, But for me, you know, like when I'm in a relationship, I'm dedicated to it. I won't cheat or anything. Mm Mm-hmm. But as soon as I'm not in that, and even in relationship, I get very sexual. Like, um, and I'm trying to, I hate to talk about this stuff, but it's still part of, I think, where it came from is like, I I get into that whole submissive, dominant, handcuffing, you know, hitting, choking. And I don't know why, except for maybe there's still remnants of all that stuff that I went through before. I think that's definitely probably what it what it is uh, the last uh, lady who came on the podcast uh laurie mitchell she's sky blue on tiktok you might you might know her she's a big uh, child abuse advocate and uh, she was talking about how when she was getting molested when she was you know very young um she would have orgasms from from her abuser and now she oftentimes will need to be in the same physical situation or mental sort of state of in the same state of mind in order to orgasm like now even you know many many years later and uh i think it totally makes sense because it's just that's our first exposure to this kind of stuff and when it happens even before puberty has even hit yet oftentimes Mm -hmm. you know it has lasting lasting effects and it's hard to point to things and be like okay i'm i'm into this because i got molested you know it's it's hard to definitively say that exactly inevitably affects you um in in all sorts of ways not you know some people might not be affected by it sexually at all but can be completely affected by it emotionally just in the same way that we were talking about how people handle these things it's just different for everybody but um yeah man that's quite a resume of molestation you got there so so you were at a point after all this happened and oh you forgot what's that i was raped a couple of times in the marines yeah. So, so yeah, please tell me about the, because now that's, now we're talking about rape versus molestation. Yeah. So, you know, my first experience in NCO in the Marine Corps is, you know, you start earning your rank, you become a non-commissioned officer. I wasn't an NCO yet. I was still kind of new. And what um, age? Maybe 20, 21. I went in when I was nine, two weeks, 
later, I was 19. So probably about 20-ish, more like it, because it was my first, very first unit. I got there in January of 93, you know, like eight months later, we went to Somalia and Bosnia and all that stuff. So it started before then. But you had got into the Marines so that you could escape this stuff. I wanted a new life. Like, I was like, hey, I got this whole new freaking life. I'm just going to start out fresh, you know. Um, I was a very timid guy, and my best friend um, who was in my team, you know, he's still my best friend. He's like, he's he knows all about a lot about all this stuff, you know. And um, when I told him some of these things, he just could not believe. He's like, why didn't you just come to me? You know, I was like, well, you just don't do that, especially I wasn't in a place to do it yet, you know, like mentally, I wasn't ready. But when I first, I remember when that NCO called me to his room and you, you listen, you know, you, I corporal, I sergeant, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And then he's like laying, laying on the bed face down. He and, that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. and then he pulled my pants down and didn't do anything but stick it right in. It's kind of like broke Pat Mountain. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No segue. No, no. I, mean, I was Brokeback Mountain before there was Brokeback Mountain, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brokeback Mountain's got nothing on your story. I feel like you can do no. it on, on your experience. Yeah. So, and, and. Are you guys like interact? Like, is there any communication while that's going on? Or are you just kind of in your head like, you know, fucking here we go again? Uh, that's what it was. Huh? Yeah. Continuation part two, you yeah. know? Yes, Sergeant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it, and that went on for a long time. And even one of my friends, we actually had, we went to his house. My friends wanted to go to his house and have a party. It was Christmas time-ish. And I ended up having to stay in the bedroom and then where he was staying. And I couldn't tell anybody about this because he gave the beds and the floor and the couches to everybody else. Uh-huh. So my one friend was like, you guys are doing something weird in there. I know it. Literally, he didn't know that I was actually under duress. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just doing what I'm required to do at the moment just to get it over with. Like, it's just like, get it over. And I think sexually sometimes it is too, right? It's like, let's just have sex. Let's do it. Let's get it over with. Bye. Don't see you again. Right. Yeah, same kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally that person ended up getting out of the military and I, I was still in. So I was kind of glad that that person did not stay in, <laughs> you know, because yeah. like one less person, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the last time it happened was Christmas of 94 in Okinawa. I was actually kind of drunk. It was a big party. And this other Marine was in my room trying to act like he was taking care of me. And I knew, I already sensed what was going on, what he was going to try to do. And sure enough, Next thing you know, he brought me in the bathroom, locked the door, because my roommate, my best friend, actually wasn't in the room. He was still drinking in the other rooms. And he pulled down my pants. He was sitting on the toilet. Like, when you get hurt on your other end from going through this, you know, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes you're just used to it, like I was at that point. Um, but this this person, he, <laughs> whew, it was huge, you know? and. Yeah. And it just went straight in and I was sore for like two weeks and I couldn't even go to the doctor because I was embarrassed Yeah, to say, why am I bleeding out my ass? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Hoping that this stuff goes away and just get back to normal. Um, luckily that never happened again with him, but I intended that to not happen again. Cause I think that was the very last time I let someone use me without my consent. Uh-huh. So it never happened after that. But thankful, my best friend, who I was telling about earlier, really helped toughen me up because he came from the hood. Like he was a hardcore, you don't say anything bad about me. I just punch you in the face. No questions asked like that. Yeah. And I had to teach him how to calm that down. Let me be your calmer, but you be my more, make me more aggressive. So we complimented each other that I, you know, that we were able to stay best friends, stay in the military, protect each other like we did and teach each other our weaknesses that's cool so you know if anything i got that from my friend you know like i'm glad it was because of him i probably wasn't as timid anymore you know what i mean um because he was probably my savior in in that aspect to take control because he would not he would never let anybody say anything bad about him or me yeah and he had such a temper where you just don't you just don't say something without getting a punch i mean Did that's his mentality tell him about the experiences that you were having he knows some of this stuff now yes but not until after you were out of the, out of the Marines. Yeah. I haven't seen him actually in 20 years, but we talk often. 
nice. on the phone, you know, one randomly sending each other weird gifts, you know, Marine Corps gifts, you know. He was my savior as to me helping myself from letting it to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, the VA, you know, I actually went to the VA to tell him about the story. So, well, we can't do anything about that. We can't prove it. What's the, the VA? Yeah, because, you know, I was raped in the military. So I finally decided to report it to the military. Okay. Like two years ago. And I went in there for my little, my little meeting to get approved for, you know, all this stuff. He's like, I could tell when you walked in here, you didn't have PTSD and this didn't bother you. And it was a male. And I don't usually get males, but I don't have a choice, right? Because I don't actually don't like getting male doctors. Sure. Um, so he said because you don't have PTSD that you're... Well, not- he's like, well, you don't look like you have PTSD. You walked in here with no problem. <laughs> yeah, that's such a classic. People are like, why aren't you more fucked up? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, uh, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Am I supposed to come here and a whole bunch of depressants for you to yeah. give it to me? Like, is that what it takes for me to be on down in the office? Are you going to take me seriously? Like, is that what you want? And believe it or not, I got denied that claim because wow. they can't prove it. It's like, I can tell you one of their names right now. Yeah. Don't stop the investigation. Well, we can't do that now. I'm giving you information for you to go do your job. But you can't investigate it, but yet you're not going to believe me that it happened. So you're not going to compensate me and, and help me mentally that way. Yeah. It's also so, like it's so much bigger than, than just like a check off on a box. Well, yeah. And it, it, it's like not only is this about my experience, but I'm trying to help you prevent other people in your service from experiencing this thing that happened to me. And from, you know, this, uh, uh, he got discharged, the, the first guy, right? Um, they both did honorably eventually yeah 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 it's a much much more ideal kind of discharge um but uh yeah yeah your honor (laughs) sure buddy (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's just so funny that people um you know when people have something else at stake i mean clearly that guy did not want to deal with this investigation i'm sure it wouldn't have looked good for him uh to have been in charge of these kind of people or in, in my experience and it does seem pretty consistent People that don't believe victims of this kind of stuff generally have some sort of a vested interest in them not telling the truth. I don't think people default to not believing victims unless they just don't want to come to terms with the fact that this stuff happens. Most mm-hmm. of the time, it's, it's like family members who don't believe that another family member molested another family member or something like that. Parents. Exactly. And, and so when you find when you find people that are so like adamantly denying your story, it's generally it just has nothing to do to do with you and everything to do with them. They're it's walking. a slap in my face. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. you know, because I can walk in here confident doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means that I'm a survivor and you're not recognizing that. Yeah. You're looking at me as a victim and I'm looking at you from my eyes that I'm a survivor. Yes. And you know, people say the same thing about me with, with uh, you know, sometimes in the TikTok comments, they'll be like, there's no way this actually happened to you. Like you're making jokes about it. Like this is, there's, I don't believe for a second that you actually got molested. Like you're just, because they, like, their comment matters to you right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's totally not, you know, I don't worry about it whatsoever, but right. it's funny that people find just any reason to not believe you. And even well, if you're at the point where you feel comfortable had, talking about it it's I like had one negative comment on on that video on tiktok what was it and this lady says i am so sick and tired of hearing this theme song on everybody's profile and i was like i just said all that and the only thing you took out of this was the song that i chose that everybody else is using i said yeah, you- i don't like i don't like lady gaga that was <laughs> that was the song right it was bad romance uh, yeah yeah you know and i'm like that's all you got out of it was the song it was what got you? I say, you know, this is why, and then I was, you know, and I actually did respond back that, you know, this is all you got out of it. And I say, you know, it's people like you that people like us start judging hard. Yeah. And also it's like, you know, that's another example of somebody who it's, it's very unlikely that she just doesn't like the song. It's very likely that she has somebody in her life who was accused of something like this and doesn't want to acknowledge any of this kind of stuff regardless of who it's coming from because mm-hmm. talking about it causes her to experience to remember or, or have to relive certain things that that she might they don't want to because exactly. they, they never dealt with the issue they suppress the issue yeah they'll, they'll it's, like, it's like fake news fake yeah. news right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they just don't want they'll 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 find anything to talk about that isn't the content of the actual video 
right? Yeah. Whether it's the sound in the video or like people often comment on my nose, like uh, like uh-huh. like a I look like I have a deviated septum. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a video about getting molested and people will be like, hey, you should really get a nose job. And I'm like, ah, that's, I'm glad I made this. You know, when I used to go to the VA because they wanted, you know, I did try antidepressants back in the day and, and I didn't like them. Um, the VA did because I was talking to the VA doctors about all this psyche issue, right? Yeah. And they said, well, we can try this. We tried this and, and it just didn't make me me. I wanted to still be me. I didn't want to be like you know, I smoke pot 24 seven, you know what I mean? Cause that's really what I was taking. That's how I felt. I didn't feel like doing anything at this point. I was like, yeah, I can't be doing this. But you know, like when I got to a point where I was satisfied with what I've done to fix and feel good about myself and it still affects me because I'm not the skinny twink I used to be now. Right. I'm more of a daddy type person. Yeah. So of course, you know, that has a, an effect on me because less people want me. The therapist used to tell me, you need to write a book. And about three different therapists told me that randomly. I was like, well, if you write it for me, I can sign off on it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I don't know how to write a book. I actually did try to write, but sometimes you can't always put everything in a timeline until you say, I would have probably 5,000 stickies to figure out where, when, you know, where, where these all go in because your thoughts start running. Yeah. No, that was later on. This was before, you know what I mean? Well, and it's then describing, like I described to you, like when I saw my brother, I didn't want to say down here, but you know, can you imagine a man bent over with his butthole in your face and he's telling you touch it? Right. You know, like those are the graphics that you need to put into a book and put out there because those are the image people who don't believe that this happened to you need to have in their head. Then maybe they will take more action when, some, when that child or that person comes to you that, you know, they, this person did this to them. You know, that first reaction would be like, oh, my God, I remember a story like this and that, that image. Did they, did, they, did they do that to you? Oh, my God, who is this? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's super important to not sugarcoat any of these experiences and you make can't. less significant. Because you that- have to realize what we see. Yeah. Because we don't forget it. We don't ever forget the images. Yeah. And also for future victims, if everybody's just talking about sort of the, the minutia of the molestation and not the severity of it, it'll make people feel even more isolated in their, in their experiences rather than having people, you know, sharing all of the details, you know, like I, and that's been a theme of this podcast is like, sort of like, you know, no holding back. You know, I think it's important that we, that we talk about these things exactly as they are, however severe or no matter what, where you are on the spectrum, it's all happening constantly and until we recognize and accept that this stuff is happening we're not going to be able to make a a a difference in preventing it so i agree with you man and it's like no matter how uncomfortable it if it really if if it's making you uncomfortable then you're probably going in the right direction because that that's the stuff that's the feeling that we need to alleviate from these conversations yeah Uh, so i i think you should absolutely write a book i think that's a great idea and like when i was trying to tell you like when i remember that innocence like i remember the flowers i remember the fresh dirt i remember the shovel you know what i mean like these are all those memories that you have to really kind of put in someone's head that this is such a, you know, like a fairy dream Disney thought that you had while your uncle was planting flowers. You know, it's like Disney. Yeah, right. Oh, and then like two years later, you're just like, well, Disney's gone. Yeah. The magic fascinated. Yeah. We, we moved on to porn already. You know what I mean? At a young age, you know, basically. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, porn is definitely an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird being thrown into that environment of just like, sexual experiences that normally take you years with a person in high school or whenever it happens. When you get to my age, right? I mean, you probably have done it all by the time you get to my age. And I literally have done it all. You know what I mean? Because when I was doing the prostitution, I didn't care if it was a girl or a boy. Right. Show me the money and I'll show you what you want. Did you have, uh, were there, were there female uh, clients? Mm -hmm. Not as many as the the men because the men seem to be more perverted to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, at least where I'm from, it was always men on the streets, right. you know, cruising in their cars and trying to find boys. Yeah. That's, that's really fascinating stuff. Do you think at that age, you, it was pretty clear that you were underage? Like were they oh, yeah. typically targeting you because you were underage? Most likely. Yeah. You know, I was this skinny blonde hair. I mean, apparently, you know, it looks doesn't matter. It's just about you being the boy. <laughs> yeah yeah right 
I just want, you know, the, the, the pedophiles, right? They just want a boy. That's all you need to be for yeah. them to trigger them to get a boner. You know what I mean? Literally. Yeah. And then they act because now it overwhelms them that they got to have it. Now, yeah. I just to kind of get clarify where I kind of became a survivor or I became a survivor in 2012, I lost everything I owned. I had two suitcases of clothes. I sold all the stuff that I could. My uniforms were stolen from the military because I lived in a bad neighborhood. And so I took the last bit of money that I had and I took a a one-way bus ticket to Orlando, Florida and went from house to house, sheltered, you know, all that, trying to to get myself. and And I started my master's degree, fall of 2012, why I was homeless. And then the military did pay me to go back to school. So I took that money that they gave me each month while I was working valet. You know, I worked night because I, was, I, I maximized my, my, my money at nighttime with guest check-in. Yeah. So I took that money they gave me and I got myself my own little apartment. I started buying, you know, a couch and silverware and I had to buy everything. So I, for the millionth time, start over, you know, I ain't starting over no more. I'm done with this bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I'm good. <laughs> but, you know, and then I landed the internship with the government. And they liked me so much. They brought me on permanently. And, and now I have, I live in National Harbor, Maryland, which is kind of like they say bougie area, you know, but I do very well for myself. I'm happy with myself. So I think that's where I became a survivor. Like, I think that was my last straw. Like, if any more bad shit happens to me in my life, I don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be a shitstorm going on in America, right? So I'm going to yeah. freak out because I used to have temper problems when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I get angry very quick, you know, especially when I was coming to that suicide moment, you know, like when things were happening, I just felt like, oh, it'd just be easier if I wasn't here, you know? Yeah. So by time you forgive and you're able to move on, not forget, but move on, be happy, know that you, you weren't the one that created the situation. They created it to you and you forgive yourself. I probably didn't have to do some of the sexual things, but I couldn't help it. You know, like I still have issues with that portion of my life. But I have what I need now, except I still don't have that one thing that everybody wants to have. Just love. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I don't need anything else. Right. I'm happy. No, don't get me wrong. I like being in my own home by myself and do what I want, you know. But it, it, that was my last straw, I think. And I just wasn't going let to let it beat me. If I can go through all that other stuff, if I can take looking at someone's ass unwanted – I can get over being homeless because at least you're by yourself and you, you have a rack. You know what I mean? <laughs> I also think that um, there's something to be said for being able to get to the point where you're at now on your own and be in a point, be, be at a place where you have everything that you want other than love and then being able to allow that to come in, having everything else in place and allowing it to come in in a, in a state of mind that you're at now, which is, clearly moved on from these experiences that you've had mm-hmm. which i think a big part of it you you kind of have to do alone you, it's internal healing you know it's not dependent on your abuser or, or anybody else it's something that you have the ability to do as a victim as a survivor uh, or to become a survivor and which is honestly awesome to know that it's like it's it's up to you that you know but you don't have to rely on anybody else for this it's it's a it's completely that, that can also be a downfall because i became so independent that sometimes i think it could also be my flaw especially when it comes to like i used to you know like when i go on dates and stuff sometimes i feel like are you using me yeah it's always going to be there, unfortunately. I don't think I can get rid of that part. I just have to trust the situation. And I'm, I'm really good at picking out flags. And this is why I'm still single, because I can catch those flags. They could be five miles away, and I see that flag come, and it's like, done, bye. You know? yeah. And so far, I have been right. So I think for someone to break that barrier for me to say, I love you, has to be a good person. And I think that the person that you will inevitably meet that, gives you that and you give them that is going to be a such a better you're going to have such a better foundation for that whole experience Mm -hmm. being in the state of mind that you're in now rather than you know if you had for example fallen in love with somebody when all the stuff was going on you know you might have been falling in love with them for completely different reasons just for somebody to not be treating you like shit you know like well i'm going to tell you i can give you an example sometimes i fell for people because they were sexually 
into stuff that I was kind of curious about. Uh-huh. And that's all I cared about. And sometimes, you know, the right person emotionally is there, but then they weren't there sexually. And when I thought maybe I didn't need it to be a sex, you know what I mean? So it's always, I don't know if it's always going to be a, a, a struggle, but I'm hoping to find that one where it doesn't matter how much I get the sex or what type of sex, because it's just going to be good because I know now it's coming from the heart. Yeah, man. You know I, what I mean? No doubt that you'll find that person. And so I, and until that happens, this is where I am. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's a lot better than where you were. <laughs> by, That's for sure. By the way. I'd rather deal with this issue than deal with all, you know, still dealing with being a victim. Because I do classify them differently. I am not a victim no more. Yeah. I classify myself as a survivor. And now my goal is to get my message out so that maybe we can create more. I love that, man. And you're already doing that. You've already done that, you know? And it's an ongoing process, but... With your with that TikTok alone, I mean, you're you're helping so many people, and uh, which is funny, you know, I did get like twenty two thousand views, and then I was looking going through that for your page stuff, and I saw all these guys showing off their bodies and dancing. I was like, damn, you got fifty thousand views off of that. Yeah, where's the priority? So you're telling me it's still all aesthetic, right? It's still about yeah. it's not what behind that person who's probably doing it for other reasons we don't know, right? Because <laughs> yeah, they might have issues too. But it amazes me where, you know, you show someone's body, you'll get 5,000, 500,000 likes. You know, you show someone's problem and they're like, yeah, you'll catch the nice ones. Yes, exactly. Well, that's a big problem with TikTok is that it's, and it's just sort of the nature of the topic, you know, like at the moment, it's not a priority for an app like TikTok to be putting that kind of content out. People go on TikTok to watch uh, minors sexualizing themselves. (laughs) Like that's, that's basically all TikTok is. It's just cool to still be able to use a platform like that and still reach 22,000 people that, you know, that's 22,000 people who may never have had the option to to view a story like that i mean you were really helping people you know so it's it's easy to compare the views and the likes to all these other other people but in reality you got to just look at the impact i had more of an impact i I had more of the the emotional impact on them especially based on the private comments and the public comments that they made yes of course it's one of those things where it's just not even a competition it's just completely different but i i totally empathize with you there and like and uh it it is always sort of frustrating when you see somebody take a 15 second video of of just abs and it's like oh (laughs) you have 14 million views (laughs) yeah like i've seen lots of those wanted and unwanted you know what i mean i don't really care about that crap anymore yeah but it's just uh yeah it's just important to recognize the uh the amount of people that you're actually helping you know nobody's watching a video of some dude with abs thinking to themselves i'm gonna get my life together and like really recover from my trauma you know what i mean like that's that's the impact that you're having so and then i got lucky that you scrolled upon it because you know you, you you gave me and i was quite shocked you know i'm not gonna lie i was just like you wrote this little thing to me. I was like, all I could say is yes, you know, pretty much. I didn't even say, you know, apology for not even saying, well, thank you for watching and all this other stuff. I just kind of like, oh, my message can go, you know, like. Not at all, man. I didn't, no need to apologize. I was, so I was just like, I have a chance to tell my story a little bit and maybe I can reach more people, you know? Yes. And you will so, actually, um, some, uh, some people that followed me uh, on TikTok tagged me in your video. Uh, in the did they really? Video. Yeah, that was actually how I found it. So, no it, way. It's so cool because there are people that listen to this podcast who uh, found me on TikTok who now tag me in, in videos of people that they think would be good to come on the podcast. So that was that was how I so shout out to everybody who's been tagging in, uh, in the in the Yeah, because I, I started tagging people that I see going through similar stuff. I tag them to my video. Yeah. Just let it, don't say anything. I just tag them and then let you reach out if you need to. Yeah. You know, leave it to them at that point. And seeing somebody like yourself share sort of just bear it all you know it's so, it's so encouraging to to hear because it's like wherever you are no matter what experience you went through molestation wise or otherwise you know whatever whatever the thing is seeing somebody be that vulnerable makes you feel like you can be vulnerable too yeah. um, so, so it took me two weeks to do that video because i started playing around with other videos just to make fun just to get get used to it but my whole my what i really wanted to do is like you know three times a week i put out a one minute video of, of a snapshot to actually get you through that whole book. Yeah, man, make it a series. I mean, that could be your your whole foundation for the book. Uh, it, and you can just do these videos and then by the time you're done with it, you have the whole material for the book. And, and just take little bits and pieces like you did here with me. 
Yeah, man. And you'll find as you go along, like that was a lot of my experience with stand-up is figuring out how to mm-hmm. present this stuff to people in a way that allows them to laugh and not just feel bad for me. Um, and, it, and it takes time, but it's just experimenting, you know, it's trial and error. And yeah. as you go, you'll find the sweet spot that allows people to uh, uh, empathize with you and, and be vulnerable themselves. And, you know, I just think that it's, it's really inspiring what you're doing. And, and uh, Thanks. Like, likewise, because, you know, it's nice to be able to have this conversation where we both understand each other in a form. You know, yeah, yeah. like, and I understand the comedy, you know, because I do the same thing, you know, like some people ask me, why am I so open with my personal life? Well, if I bottle in, then we'll... I've tried bottling it in and I'll take being open every time, you know, having experienced both, both sides of it. I have a clause when I go on dating, I always say, just remember, you can ask me anything you want, but all I ask is you be prepared for an answer. Yeah. I because if that. you ask me that question and then that comes out, it's a turnoff, Right. Because people don't want to hear that stuff. But yeah. at the same time, you got to start something new with honesty. Yeah. So if you, if you ask me a question and I avoid it, and then you find out later, then you're like, oh, my God, you got baggage. I don't have baggage. My baggage is gone. Yes. The thing is, can you handle what I went through? You're the one who's assigning this weight to what I'm saying that you think that I'm still dealing with. But it's like, no, right. I'm like, I'm good, dude. I have the <laughs> similar experiences when I go on dates because it's like, you know, people ask me like, oh, so what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm a comedian. And they're like, oh, what do you do stand up about? And I was like, well, <laughs> See, here we go. <laughs> it, goes right, it goes right into your personal life. Right. Yeah. And it's almost unavoidable because it's part of who you are. And then what you're doing. So, and then most people can't deal with that. They, they'll give us the sympathy and the hugs and all these messages. But when it's face to face to want to love you, they don't know if they can handle that part of you because they're not used to it. Well, I do think that a lot of it depends on where you are at with the healing process. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that people can, people can feel it. And this is similar to stand-up. Like when I first started doing stand-up about it, it was clear that I was not at a point where I had you know, fully healed. And I still have it. You know, it's an ongoing process. But you can, people can feel the level of comfort that you have speaking about. With it, yep. So if you are on a date, and I found, like, I'll drop that on the first date. Like, no problem. I have no issue <laughs> discussing this kind of stuff, like, immediately. And I think that when people can can sense that you're not holding on to anything and that this isn't going to be, you know, we don't, it's not, it doesn't have to be even a serious conversation. Like, it doesn't have to mm-hmm. weigh down the first date or anything. I think if people can feel that you're okay, the amount of weight that the things that you say have just depends on how you say them and where because you're like, you know, like you, I'm a jokester. So I, you know, when people ask me certain questions, I can just let it out in a joking manner. Yeah. And then you're like, you serious? Yeah. You're yeah, serious. <laughs> you know, you serious? Yeah. yeah. Why? You know, cause I can talk about it because I don't hold it in. And I think that's the key. You should can't hold it in. Yeah. I still have days, you know, like I was alone on Christmas and I was listening to some, songs and you know sometimes i do get emotional still of course it's never gonna leave me completely i mean obviously i'm not you know some superhero who i can just vanish my feelings you know yeah it probably wouldn't be a bad bad superhero (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I do think it's just like being willing to let yourself feel whatever you feel if you're feeling sad fucking let it out you know it's the the problem is that you run into is when you feel like you can't express what you're feeling and yeah. especially with this kind of trauma. You know, I get sad about it too, of course. Or um, you're too masculine to let it out. Right. It's, it's just, it's so freeing when you're, when you let yourself speak and feel about these things, how you, how you really do feel about it. Um, yeah. Not putting on some sort of facade of, of, yeah, trying to convince people that you're, you're okay when you're really not like being yeah. honest with yourself about these things is so important. Um, and it just allows you to, 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 to move past it or, or just to heal from it. You know, like, like you said, it'll always be with you, but it doesn't have to be a thing that you're afraid to talk about. I don't, I don't hesitate. Yeah. You ask me, you get the answers. Yeah. Coming from the perspective that you have now, which is, you know, clearly healed and moved on from these experiences that you've, that you've had to a point now where you no longer feel like you're just meant to be used. You have more self-worth and value and, uh, and just general happiness. What advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar to you, um, who's hoping to get to the point that you're at now? So your question is basically, how do they get from victim to survivor? Yeah. 
for me personally, me tired of being sad. I mean, I'm going to get emotional because now it's. <laughs> That's okay, man. Don't worry about it. You know, it's you just let it out. It's just, <laughs> these are emotions. We're meant to feel them, you know? I would just say, don't let anybody stop your happiness. You know, yeah. you have to know your self-worth. If you know your worth a lot, then you, then you just stop forgiving yourself. I know the value of me and I won't settle for anybody in my life that doesn't respect that value or have the value of themselves. Even I have very limited friends because I believe in, you know, being true to yourself, loving yourself, forgiving the stuff that's happened and really push forward as much as you can. And most of the time we have to do it ourselves. You can go to doctors. They're probably going to help you. They're going to give you medications. But then do you want to be on medication your whole life? I don't know. It's, me, is, that wasn't an option. Me was, my medication has to be my self-worth. I think the main thing is to love yourself. Just yeah, love, yeah. just downright. If nobody else is going to love you, the only one that you can count on that's going to love you is yourself. Totally, man. That's, that's the only constant you will ever have. And knowing that you're worthy of that love, you know, yes. no matter what you've been through and how many people have taken advantage of you, you, it doesn't make you any less worthy. Damn. <laughs> I promised I wasn't going to do this. No, no, it's fine, man. It is, um... You got to know your value. Yeah. And don't settle. There's always somebody else who's just as valuable as you that you'll be a match. Yes. Don't, don't rush into it. Don't get into such, you know, like when I went to Florida, it wasn't just to go to Florida. It was because I need to get rid of all the negative. Yeah. I need to refocus. And sometimes when you live around negative or you're not happy in the city that you're in or you just don't, you know, things that you were doing weren't as good as you should have been doing, I need to remove all that negativity for me to be more positive in my life. Yeah. So I went to Florida because of that. And that's where I found my ex who actually helped raise me up to feel better about myself. And I could actually have a person like this who is very doing very well for themselves. They're positive. They like to do things. They got a great life. Um, so I think my other message would be just remove the negativity don't care if it's your mom your dad your brother I don't care who it is yeah because if you're going to love yourself you need to remove the negative because otherwise you're never going to get to that point it's, I mean luckily it sounds like you have very supportive parents I do you know so that's good you know I mean me I didn't have that I don't even know who my dad is you know yeah. I'm close to finding him but I don't even know if I want to, to know him because one, he doesn't even know about me. And two, I became the man I am by myself. Yeah. I don't need to wonder who you are, what I would have been a better man if you were in my life. You know what I mean? I do. The only thing I wish that maybe he was around is maybe he, he could have been the one I went to maybe to stop a lot of this stuff. I don't know. But it wasn't the case, right? Yeah, and uh, it wasn't the case, but the person that you are today, you may never have become had it been exactly. something else. So I think it's just being appreciative of where you are and recognizing that you, uh, you are totally worthy of happiness. And yeah. uh, it's just these things happen, and it's the reality of the world that we're living in, and you don't have to be defined by them. You don't have to be tied down by these past experiences. They can, you can transform them into something that not only empowers you, but empowers other people. So exactly, you, uh, it, it's, it's all a matter of perspective. And I think the perspective and story that you shared today is just really so encouraging for people to hear. It's encouraging for me to hear. And I just really appreciate you, Shannon. And I really appreciate you bringing me on. Even though I got a little... No, I I couldn't, couldn't be more okay with it, man. Just right now, as you were feeling that, the worst thing to do would be to be like, no, don't stop feeling, you know what I mean? It's, but you just, you just let it, let it happen, you know? It's all just natural shit. And it's like, I think that there's so much, uh, there's so much merit to just allowing yourself to feel how you truly feel. Listen, man, thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it was a great time. Yes. I just, yeah, can't thank you enough. It was, uh, anytime. I, uh, I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I'm glad you saw someone tagged you, whoever that was. Yeah. Give them a shout out for me. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs>
Yeah. And Hopefully they uh, listen to it. Yeah, we'll have to do a follow up episode when uh, when you when you get your book done. <laughs> yeah, that I, I appreciate I'll it. Talk with you again soon, Chandler. Have a happy new year. You too.